Hi, and welcome back to the show. And today I've got a real good one, in my opinion, because one of my goals in coming back and, and doing the podcast is that I want to tell great stories and I want you all to get to experience other people's great stories in ways that really will give you lots of lessons and insights into how it might apply to your own situation right now and going forward. And so, on that note, today I've got Jared Alderman, aka Jay Alderman, who is a high stakes online poker professional. And he's had great success in the poker world. He's now transitioning into becoming more of a performance coach in addition to crushing poker. So this guy is doing a lot of things out in the world, all of them at a high level. And I wanted to tell Jared's story because I read something he wrote on Twitter a while back about his experience of attempting to become a Navy SEAL and the ways that he was preparing himself for it, what ultimately led to his failure in not becoming a Navy SEAL, and how it ended up leading him into a career in the Navy EOD unit, which stands for Explosive Ordnance Disposal, which turns out is just people figuring out how to defuse bombs. So another very high stakes profession that goes way beyond what it's like to go into the poker world. And Jared's story around how he was viewing himself, how he was viewing what it would mean to be a Navy SEAL, how he dealt with the failure and how he moved forward is all stuff that I think is super important to hear and super important to understand how it all fits into the greater context of how you are in relationship to yourself, no matter what your goals are. And that if you don't have the proper relationship with who you are and what you stand for and how you want to be in the world, then it doesn't matter what you accomplish or don't accomplish. doesn't matter how much money you make. It's not going to stick and feel good in a way that lasts. So with that in mind, I hope you really enjoy this conversation because there's so much good stuff in there. And so let's get to it. This is my conversation with Jared Alderman. Jared, what's up, man? How are you doing? Good, Jason. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm happy to have you on here this time. I, I've talked with you on your show. So I'm yeah. um, happy to interview you because, you know, you're since I'm not playing anymore, I don't know who's actually good, but I've been told that you're a, you're a huge crusher at poker by somebody who thinks that everybody is terrible. You know, one of those guys. So, so I was like, okay, this is legit. And so I know that I can trust that, but, but I also uh, read the tweet thread you wrote, I guess it was a few weeks ago about your experience I guess trying out is the wrong word, but trying to make your way into uh, Navy SEALs and, and Navy SEAL training. And that really grabbed my attention because it brought to light something that I am super passionate about. So I wanted to just kind of like let you tell your story to the people so that we can get more ears on it and, and get, I think, the big insights for for all the people out there. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Yeah, thanks. I, I don't know who who said that, but that's very kind of them about my my poker skills, you know. Uh, we yeah. try our best out here. <laughs> yeah, it's always good to get that validation. Yeah. You know, when you're when you're a cash game player, you don't you don't really get much of that. But so it's like it's like, oh, somebody yeah. thinks I'm good. You don't have like a newspaper clipping to show, but uh that's kind yeah, of the exactly. best I can do. Let's start the story. I um you know, so the background is that you you went to the Naval Academy and you graduated from there. And and then from there, what you wrote is that you had your eye on Navy SEAL training and even from then, just getting from that wanting to actually entering was was a much longer road than you anticipated. Tell us about that. 
Yeah. So a uh, quick clarification, I actually was, went enlisted. So I didn't graduate from the Naval oh, Academy, okay. but that's all right. Um, but no, so I basically decided, you know, I read in some book, actually, I was reading about funny enough, like resilience and like emotional resilience. And I was reading about Navy SEAL training was coming up in the book. It wasn't like the focus of the book, but it's just something that came up and it's something that just like really grabbed my, my attention and my, my desire. And so basically I just decided, yeah, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go try and be a Navy SEAL. It was something that struck some chord in me and it, it wouldn't be some time that I sort of started understanding a little bit more what it was that I was trying to accomplish by pursuing that. But so basically the process is a bit like you, you go into a recruiter's office, you literally just tell them like, I want to try and be a SEAL. And they, and basically there's this process of trying out to try out, if you will. So you have to get selected. You have to go through like a, do something called the physical standards test of the Navy and you have to perform good enough on those scores. And then they do a draft every quarter or month or so. I can't remember how often it was And the highest scores in that get awarded SEAL contracts are called SO contracts, special operation contracts. And then those people get to go into the Navy, into the SEAL pipeline. So you go in and do the stages of training in order to become a SEAL. So it takes the average person probably like, I would say about six months if you try and you're in decent shape when you start. It took me three and a half years to even get the contract, which is yeah, very, very long. If anyone who's tried to do it, I mean, it, if you're like just in terrible shape, most people will try and then just give up on it because it'll take them too long. The odd thing for me was I was actually in decent shape. I was in okay shape going into it. And then for the three years, I basically hovered right below or a bit below where I needed to be to pick up the contract. And, you know, as I mentioned in the Twitter post, this was largely because the things, the areas that I needed to work on, I just... I couldn't confront them. So there's five tests on the PST. There's, you do a 500 meter swim. You do a two minutes of max pushups, two minutes of max sit-ups. You do your max setup pull-ups and then you do a mile and a half run. And so the big thing for me was just the run. I wasn't great at sit-ups either, but I could pass sit-ups. But the really big thing was the run. I would have, I would show up some days and like do really great on the run. And then I would just stop training it. And then I would uh, come back. You have to consistently take tests to maintain. So like usually by the time you get a contract, you have to take a bunch of tests. And if you ever drop below a certain standard, you lose your contract. And so I was super inconsistent in my run times. I would come and do really well. And then I would come and do really poorly. So the people who were in charge of sort of awarding these contracts were like, look, like we can't give you one. Like you're too high risk, basically. Like we can't reliably count on you to be able to actually keep these scores. And... Um, yeah, I don't know how much of the story you want me to just run into, but like this, you know, on on reflection, this was just largely because I wasn't a good runner. It's as simple as that, right? Which is kind of funny, but being bad at running was symbolic of something much deeper for me. So I was just very avoidant of it. I was, and being bad at, you know, not being capable of being a Navy SEAL was an even bigger thing for me. Like a lot of, uh, I built this accomplishment into being something that would be really revolutionary for me as a person. Like I thought it was the only way for me to sort of find value. And so anytime I would get out to run and it was hard, it just felt like failing. It just felt like I wasn't enough. It felt like I, you know, and so I just couldn't do it. So I would, I would, and then I would feel, I would avoid it and start feeling really crappy about the fact that I haven't been running. And then I would start doing it. 
and then I would get in slightly better running shape. And then I would just like sort of repeat the cycle over and over and over again. So I don't know if you want me to just uh, keep running into the story or. No, this is good. It, it sounds like you, uh, you know, you, you essentially like would sabotage yourself over and over as soon as you were right on the, the cusp of, of having what you wanted. Right. And it looks really convenient to just be like, oh, it's the running. I'm just not good at the running. Yeah. But, but that's not it because, you know, you can train yourself into becoming a better runner. But really yeah. what you were doing was coming right on to the, to the edge of the cliff of, of taking the leap to like this thing that means so much to me. And then something just kind of shuts down inside of like, oh, I'm not enough. I don't deserve this. I'm, I'm not ready yet. Right. That's the thing that everybody does is like, oh, it's not my time yet. And then it's not even like you made a decision to stop training the running would be my guess. You just kind of stopped. You're like, Oh, I don't know why a week went by a couple of weeks went by. I haven't run. I haven't ran. And, uh, and that's kind of how, how it works. Yeah. And I'm trying to reflect. It was, you know, this was almost nine years ago at this point. So I'm trying to reflect on really what that was like, but yeah, it was, it's funny. Cause as soon as I started, I don't know, at some point something did click where like running stopped feeling like this barrier right and then i would just start just start running more and then i got a contract no problem i'm not really sure what sort of shifted in my experience with it it could be that i just like ran a little bit enough <laughs> over the course of 3 years that like the experience of running didn't feel as bad because i didn't seem as bad at it yeah yeah well you know? well sometimes we succeed in spite of our best efforts to sabotage, yeah. but then we then we really get it later, right? Which we will we yeah. will get to now. <laughs> so 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 you get in, yeah. Uh, you get into the seal yeah. training, um, and and it's hard. Everybody knows the stories of, of what it looks like. They've made movies. That's that's all I've seen is is the movies of of what goes on. And um, well, what what was the hardest part about it for you? And 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 how long did you last? I can't remember um what you. Yeah, were. so it's interesting because like seal training is longer than most people I think are aware of. Because so when you go into the pipeline, you have to go through Navy boot camp first, so it's two months. And then you go through like a prep course, which is two months. And then you go through something called BOW, which is basic orientation. That's in San Diego. And that's, I'm gonna, I think it's five weeks. And then you actually start BUDS, which is the actual SEAL training. BUDS is six months, but the, the first four weeks are really the, uh, I haven't gone through, so I, I quit in hell week. So I, that's the fourth weekend to bounce. Yeah. And, and that's the week where like, they basically just keep you awake the whole time and, and have you yeah. done insane, vigorous stuff. Okay. Yeah. So you're awake the whole time, everywhere you go, you're running with what's with a boat on your head called boats on heads. Very descriptive. They're very creative <laughs> with the names. How heavy is so, it? So it's like an inflatable, it's probably about 200 pounds. And then you share it between six people. Okay. I think that's an estimation. Never had a scale with me. But it's not comfortable. Your neck is not meant to support weight running on the beach for long periods of time. But you, so everywhere you go in Hell Week, you you run with that, except for when you're do, obviously doing like other exercises that not don't make that possible. But between evolutions, as, every moment of the day, you're doing something physical. And yeah, so I guess leading up to this, so you know, I get into boot camp. I start in boot camp, and one of the markers for me of the fact that I really wasn't. I really wasn't pursuing something, but I was avoiding something was this continuous thing that keep popping up, kept popping up, which was what I kept trying to pretend like I'd already made it, you know, like I kept trying to pretend like I had already done it and it would kind of be offensive to me that anyone would insinuate that I couldn't do it. And I felt like in boot camp, I had some ability to say who would make it and who wouldn't make it. And I would like demean people 
based on my filter of who was who was exhibiting the qualities and many of these people made it and I didn't. Um, <laughs> but needless to be said, this didn't make many friends, right? So the first uh, problem was the fact that Buds is not a solo evolution. Like you yeah. really need the support of people when you're there. Yeah. And so it all started in bootcamp because you start with these, you know, the same people who you go through Buds with in bootcamp. So you, by the time you've gotten to Buds, you've been with them for like six months already. And so like, I was already not making friends. I had very few friends bootcamp. I did have, I did have some friends and they're still my friends and those friendships have meant a lot to me, but it was, uh, yes, already like ruffling feathers, just like people aren't enjoying me. And, and then every like physical evolution, it's funny. I was already very like avoidance of not seeming like I'm one of the stronger performers in the class. Right. So I would find myself often in buds. It's kind of part of the game. You kind of try to cheat right? Like when some of the, many of the things they're asking you to do are just like ridiculous and just like can't really be done. So like you're, it's kind of part of the game to cheat, but leading up to that, you're really preparing for it. Right. And a lot of people took this attitude much more than I did. So like you, you do a lot of physical exercises, just trying to get you in better and better shape so that when you go to buds, you have a better chance of, of succeeding and you're really not being screened until you get there yet. But still, I was at every time when there was an opportunity to just be doing an exercise to get in better shape. I was already trying to like cheat and like get around it because I didn't want to face any sort of evidence that I wasn't uh, in the best shape. And then I would, people who weren't, I would again demean, like, why are you working so hard? Like, you know what I mean? I would sort of like treat poorly. Like, again, I just had this weird hierarchy in my mind of what success looked like. And if, if you weren't playing by my rules, you were just less than me. That's wild. It's like you were, you were not seeing what the point of the the program is and, and and what type of person they were looking for. And instead it was just like you using it as a way to prove to yourself that like you are who you thought you were. And, yeah. and that is essentially like what that training is probably designed to weed those people out. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I had read a lot about, about buds and like a, a lot about the training and there are a lot of, people like I was just misunderstanding the stages the progression of all of this and so basically I think what I had done is I had read some things about the training uh, and some of the people who got through the training but some of the people who get through buds training are like really conniving sneaky people like to be honest like they're really crafty they're really not but they also are people who are totally willing to do the work when it when it has to be done you know and I think I had made some sort of like archetype of who I thought was the person to make it through buds and this is a person who wasn't the person who would make it through Bud's archetype, right? So it was all filtered through like my filter of it. And then I was just pretending to be that person. And then I was just then criticizing everybody else for not being that person. But it was like this really shallow image of that. When in reality, like there's a wide spectrum of people who make it through Bud's and their personality types and the kind of people that they are. And the common thread is I think they're just like, they're just more aligned than I was and why they're there. Yeah. And... But anyway, so like I was, so you go through boot camp, and like yeah, like I said, I'm making lots of lots of enemies. You go through prep, and prep is actually sick. When you go through prep, it's like a it's two months of like a fitness camp. Like it's super. I mean, it's sick for someone like me. Like it was like you just like work out three times a day. You're like relaxing. Like the workouts aren't meant to break you. They're really meant to build you up. You're working with like top coaches in their fields. Like it's it's really really cool. But again, I really wasn't taking advantage of it. Like still, I was just. I was in a very defensive place. So like I was constantly trying to like, you know, shift and maneuver. Like a lot of people were just relaxing and working out and having fun. One of my good friends 
who ended up making it is now a seal is i I remember always thinking he always seemed so relaxed like i remember that being the thing that always stood out to me it was like did you just seem like so so chill funny story the night before we go into hell week he invites me to go watch the movie frozen right before (laughs) hell week starts and i'm like what's like i'm so nervous like i'm so stressed and he's just like we're we're watching it and he's just i remember the scene where they sing let it go and he literally looks at me and goes dude isn't this scene just perfect and i'm like <laughs> I'm like who are you <laughs> yeah 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 i mean this is like this is great because it's it shows that it's not about a, a specific type of person that they let in but there's just like the one thing that they want which is that like no matter how much pressure we put on you do you yeah. know who you are are you comfortable with who you are are you relaxed about who you are and can you show that to the people that you're going to be with? Because they need you to show up in that way. And yeah. we're going to like do everything we can to make you prove that that's who you are. And and if you're not, we will find the leak and we will break you um, yeah. because we can't afford to to have people who who aren't that aligned inside because, um, you know, so much is on the line in, in, in what they do. There's who knows what the hell seals are doing out there right and this is like the stakes are just too high to not be at that level inside yourself yeah and uh to be fair like and i you know the filtering continues on after buds and even after so like sqt is the end of the pipeline officially you sort of become pinned after what's called seal qualification training then you are like a seal but the attrition continues like plenty of people make it through the training and get to their you know get to the teams and they're like you're this you're not it like yeah. the you know and that people people get kicked out and yeah. so you know it continues it's a very um it's interesting there's an interesting dichotomy so i would eventually go on to become a part of a similar community become an eod tech which is somewhat similar to the seals there's there's distinct differences but they they both work in i guess highly specialized fields but it's interesting because there there is also like a from my vantage point of, I mean, I can speak about EOD techs. I wasn't in the SEALs, but although I did, you know, I do know many of them. Even among EOD techs, there is this still this culture where a lot of people are trying to do it. They, they're they trying to do it someone else's way. Like they have, they, there is this idea of like what it means to, uh, to do this job. It, it's a job of a lot of high pressure, right? Like there's a lot of pressure once you become a SEAL, if you will, you know, and yeah. even talking to my friends who are SEALs, like there's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing of just like what's the balance between like feeling pressure to like sort of measure up to something, but also like feeling comfortable with who you are. Um, yeah, I was going to say the, it sounds like the the testing never ends. Like you get, you get your yeah. pin, fine. You, you know, if you, the moment that you stop being that person, you're out, you know, you, yeah. you get, go on some missions, crush it and, and, you know, do the job perfectly. Great. But, you know, the minute after that, you're still, you're still always like needing to yeah. keep hold it doesn't matter how much you accomplish or what you've done it's just about like well who you who are you now and if you're not yeah. you can't you can't keep going because that's what we require just always yeah well i knew i had a new an eod tech who got his so seals get trident pin is called a trident eod techs get what's called a crab pin and i i knew a eod tech to get his crab pulled like 14 years into his career yeah and get kicked out yeah so it's that kind of stuff happens i wouldn't say a lot but it does happen and yeah, it's it's tough. It's that being said though, like these experiences like led once I sort of learned to we even get really get through the whole story. I guess I can go back to it. So ultimately I would go through prep and go to buds and 
quit in hell week. Yeah. Become, so, yeah I, I want to know. I want to know that, that moment. Yeah. Tell me, paint the picture. I want to just feel, feel the feelings. Mm. Yeah. It was, I mean, you get to buds and like, honestly, the first three weeks of buds, I felt great. Like I really did. I was, I really felt like I was thriving. I mean, people still did not like me, but I really <laughs> felt like I was doing well physically. Uh, I really felt like I was, but looking back on it now, I can see that there were a lot of cracks and I was clearly, I was clearly just hiding from a lot, right? Like every little success, I would just try to cling on to as like evidence that like I was going to make it. And I wasn't really being aware of all of the ways that, uh, there's a ton of things when you're in buds that are like extra, if you will. So like when you get done with a work day at buds, there's tons of things I need to get done. And I was often like too stressed to really help out. And like, this is one of the reasons people didn't like me, right? <laughs> like at the end of the day, there's like, there's, there's stuff that needs to get clean. And I was always trying to do like the minimum, you know, and I wouldn't acknowledge it then, but I, looking back on it, it was clear. Like I was so stressed about getting the right amount of sleep, getting, eating the amount. I mean, do you were eating everything in buds, right? Like you're eating so much food and you're still losing weight. So like, I wanted to get back and like eat a ton of food and get amount of sleep that I needed. And like, I was just so worried about keeping all of the conditions around my, like about myself pristine to make sure I could show up and, you know, do the best I could the next day. Cause you're not getting much sleep anyway, day to day. But anyway, so I, but ultimately I think if you had asked me then like how I felt things were going, I would have been like, great. I think I'm feeling really great about things. I'm really, I'm really glad I'm performing well. Moving into hell week, I started having like a, I don't want to say an injury because everybody's kind of hurt in some way at this point, but like my, not everybody, but a lot of people, but in the back of my my knee, I was noticing that like, it was really painful to sort of like bend and extend my knee. Um, it was getting like really, really painful. And so you, you, you know, you have weekends off in buds. So I remember the Friday before hell week being like, okay, I'm going to like do some serious rehab this weekend. Cause like my knee is getting very painful in the back of my knee. And so then I would start, uh, I did a lot of rehab that weekend and it, it started feeling better. And then like Sunday is usually when hell week starts. So there's this long tradition of, uh, basically you sit in this room and you eat pizza and you watch movies before hell week with your whole buds class. It's like the long tradition. My class didn't get to do that because our proctor was pissed at us because you're supposed to pack up all your bags. Everyone's supposed to pack up their bags and like leave their rooms, like ready to vacate before hell week. And apparently our class did a terrible job at doing this. So our reward for this was the day before hell week starts, we were running sprints between these two buildings on a sand road. I think it was about a mile and we're just running sprints and my knee starts to like difficult to move. Like it starts feeling really, really painful. And again, I want to emphasize everybody's hurt. So I'm not, this is not a, you know, anything unique to me. Everybody's hurt in some capacity, but what was happening was this fear was slowly deeply creeping in, right? Like hell weeks coming. The biggest thing I've ever tried to endure. It's like 120 hours without sleep. You sleep like here or there, but you just, you're running constantly. And I'm starting to feel like it. I can't even move my move, bend my knee. So we're running, we're sprinting back and forth between these buildings. And I, I'm just, again, I'm just trying to ignore it, right? I'm doing actually the opposite of what I should be doing actually now. I'm trying to run harder, right? I'm trying to like, I'm trying to like sprint harder and show that like I can, it's not like tell myself it's like not going to hold me back. When in reality, looking back on it, it's like, dude, just like take it easy. Like there's, this is no test. Like no one's watching you. Like, your knee hurts. You have you have five and a half days of exercise coming. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. take take a moment. But yeah. So then, um, you know, we we kick off Hell Week. 
you're just like doing nonstop exercises here. You know, I, the one that matters here is you start doing what's called log PT, which is you, you're carrying a log in front of your chest with five other, five or six other people. And you're lunging around, uh, lunging around or running around or, you know, holding it over your head or various things. And I would, I would come to find, I was not taking very good care of my hips through this time. So like I was having a lot of problems erupting from this, but one thing that happened is like my lower back in conjunction, then like completely like seized up and I couldn't really bend it. Cause I didn't really have enough like flexibility in my hips. And so I'm doing log PT and I'm just dragging everyone down. And historically up to this point too, this had been one of my better exercises, like doing log PT. I, I had been doing, I'd been feeling okay about and the wheels were really coming off, like coming off fast. And honestly, I was doing worse than the injuries should indicate that I was doing. You know, this is kind of like where the self-pity starts setting in. Like mm. you start exaggerating the degree to which your injuries are holding you back almost to like justify it. I think it's kind of, I think it's an evolutionary way to sort of signal to people that you're not doing well. It's an interesting thing, but like, mm -hmm. you know, you basically start trying to like really show that you're hurt. It's just like a kind of self-pity. And um yeah. And so it's just, it's not feeling good. And then at this moment and Bud, buds is a pretty brutal culture, you know, that the guys on my log, just, they just jump on it. They're just like, mm -hmm. get out of here, quit, leave. Like no one wants you here, especially because the people didn't particularly like me. And, uh, we get through log PT and we, you know, we go back to our boats because you, you know, anytime you go anywhere, you have to go to the boats and we, we pick them up and we start running to our next meal. I think this was, this was our midnight meal. You have four meals a day in hell week. So this was our midnight meal and we're, we're running there. And we, uh, again, it's just like, what's funny is looking back on it, my back started feeling better on the run. Like I didn't have the wherewithal to notice, but I, I was clear once I had quit that like, I was actually starting to feel a little bit better on the run, but we were running and I was just this sign of how poorly I had done in long PT. It was just circulating in my head, right? It was just mm. building and building and building and building. And it was all I could think about. Like, this is, this isn't going well, yeah, you know, just couldn't let it go. Yeah. I just couldn't let it go. And I, I just, oh, cause I, I had, you know, I had dropped the log at one point and you just get swarmed by instructors and they're all like, you know, you're going to hurt somebody like, you know, like you need to get out of here. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, and, and you, I'll get to so they're, so they're like they're like telling you to quit. They're like, oh, one hundred percent, all the time. Yeah. To be fair, they're telling everybody to quit all the time. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> because they want they want because they want they want they want people to take the exit who are going to take the exit. So let's just speed it up. And, yeah. And there, there's also like attrition. There's also attrition numbers they're trying to hit. To be yeah. fair, too. Okay. So when they so when they see someone struggling, they're like, that guy. Let's go. You yeah. know, like yeah, let's yeah. get that guy. Makes sense. Yeah. Because yeah, you don't yeah. want to like you you don't want to build somebody up and like have your encouragement be what carried them through, but then they're on a mission without that later. And then they, they crumble. Right. So that, that makes it's, total sense. Yeah. It's weird, man. I mean, like uh, people take different lines for this, you know, and like, to be fair, a lot of people get helped if you will, but because the instructors really see it in them, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I'm not bitter at all about the fact that I wasn't that guy, you know, that I was, you know, you'll hear this from people. I know tons of, I still have tons of friends who quit from buds, you know, I, that I know. And a lot of people just can't let it go. You know, they, they think they were targeted. They think that it was, I had to take people were out to get them. You know, I'm the first to say that, like, it wasn't me. Like I, I was clearly not, it would have been a disaster had I made it through 
for me and uh, for certainly for me i can't say to anything else but it would have been a disaster i just wasn't i wasn't i wasn't ready for it you know and so and and it's just like transparent you can just see it you know you can see it and you can you can feel it like you know instantly that person who's just like not okay with who they are you know Mm -hmm. and just like i think we have very good instincts for this i think it's a very good way to detect if someone's likely to treat you well or not so i think we have very deeply ingrained instincts for this and and certainly in a culture and in, in a community like that, like in high pressure situations, just like people's behavior just shows you, Yeah, you know, and it was just clear that I wasn't ready for it. And so, and the instructors that you do a lot of peer evals. So like the instructors are getting peer evals from people and they're reading about what the class thinks of each person. And so they know the names of like these people we want to get out of here and they really trust the class. And I think that's, that's a good system, generally speaking, you know, like the class knows, the class knows the people who are really there to help people who are really not trying to prove something about themselves. And, and yeah, so I think it's a fair. So when I, all that to be said though, when I start struggling, I'm definitely one of the names that they're like, we got to get this guy out of here. And so they all, you know, they swarm you. And so I'm running to lunch with the memory of, you know, this last evolution in my mind, just like ringing around in my mind and just like, just like, uh, man, and I think the fear that I had been avoiding all this time, like all the way through through training for this and all the way up to this, it's just like, I'm not good enough. Like, I'm not going to be able to get through this. And uh, you sit down to eat and it's just, it's a little too much time to think. Like you're sitting there and I'm just like looking around at these people. And then they they call, the instructors get up and they call a list of names and they say like all these people, my name's on it. And you get up there. And they, you know, they basically tell you like, Hey, you guys aren't performing at the level that we need. If you guys don't up it, you're going to get what's called performance rolled. So you're going to get rolled to the next class. So it's funny. Cause if you, if you look at it from a certain perspective, it's like, why not just get rolled? Like yeah. even, you know, but then they're like, they, they finished saying this to us at lunch, at dinner, midnight snack. I don't know what you'd call it. <laughs> um, but they, they, they finish telling us that. And then they say like, all right, go back to your boat cruise. And I just, I couldn't move. And mm. this instructor was just like, like, you know, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, go back to your boat crew. And I was just like frozen. Mm. And he's just like, are you done? And I just like turned and like looked at, I'm just like standing in front of my whole class and just like looking at these people. And, you know, I, I'm horrified to say the words but I also know that like, I just can't go back. Like I can't go back. And, and he just like, looks at me again, like, are you done? And I was just like, yeah, I'm done. And then immediately they start walking me over to the bell and immediately I just say, can I take it back? Can I go back? And they're just like, you can't, we're not allowed. Like, once you say you're done, we have to pull you out. And I just broke down. I was just like the, you know, they have the truck parked in front of everybody with the bell on the back of it. And I'm just weeping in front of my class. It just all came like rushing in this, this thing that I had been avoiding trying to like face up to just who I actually was. Then there was just, there was just no avoiding it. There was nowhere to go. And it just, it broke me. And I was just crying and crying and crying. And the instructors changed personalities like that. Hmm. Yeah. Suddenly they were just the kindest people. Honestly, they like one of this, one of these instructors came up to me. It was just like, uh, one of them was like, Hey, I quit my first time. You know, he's like, I quit my first time through buds. Like this training's brutal. He's like, you, you know, it'll be okay. You know, you can always come back. And yeah, it was just, it was just terrible. It was a really, 
really brutal experience, you know, and then you have to leave, you know, your class. And then you have to like make phone calls. You have to tell everybody, you know, all these people who've been counting on you or believing in you and like, you know, going through this whole thing with you that you quit. And uh, yeah, it was just devastating. Hmm. Then what happened? Uh, so then it's very common that, that they take the, so there's, there's actually four sort of special operation communities in the Navy outside of the SEALs. The SEALs have the best PR, <laughs> but there's actually sort of four there's some nuance here to like what makes something special operations, but there's basically four programs that you have to like sort of compete to get into and that have a pipeline with high attrition. It's the SEALs, the SWIC, um, Special Warfare, Combatant Craft Crewmen, EOD, and divers, Navy divers. And so it's common that they take the people who, are, you know, a trait at some point in the SEAL pipeline and try to get them into other pipelines because they're often need manning and so then they offered me, so actually my plan was to, when I immediately, when I quit, cause I'm still locked into a, a yeah. six year, con, a six year contract in the Navy, but I came yeah. in to be a SEAL. That's, I didn't want to be in the Navy. Mm-hmm. You know, my plan was to feign depression and to like get medically separated. That was actually like my immediate plan. Feign, feign depression. I was mm-hmm. depressed <laughs> looking, <laughs> looking back on it. I was, I was yeah. miserably depressed, but, yeah. but then they offered, you know, they offered me an EOD contract and, uh, yeah, funny enough, like I think the same spark that, you know, got lit by the SEALs got lit by EOD. It was like, oh, this this can be my way of proving I'm something, you know. This is just move on to the next thing. Because I would like to say that I just like went through this experience and like I had some like, you know, deep awakening and it just changed who I was and and then I I went on to conquer and do great things, but it's it's not at all what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would uh Yeah I was I was really Sorry, you, if you can. Uh, you so I, was, I was remembering, uh, I, I wrote to you, I messaged you. I was like, yeah, it sounds like a, an, you know, a, a life-changing experience that really shapes you for the better, um, but only like well after it's finished. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it was a very good like impetus. Like it really started a lot of good things, I think. Mm-hmm. But it was... Um, you know, it's the opposite what happened, actually. I, I became a little bit more jaded because you go into EOD pipeline and then like, and then you just get to like even more treat people like they're less than you. Like I went to Bud's, like, what do you know? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know when, just, when did you, when did, when did this stop? How long, how long did it take for this part of you to kind of break out and, and for you to kind of find the the self-acceptance and love of like, I am enough. I don't need to be above other people to feel good. Uh, how long, how long did that take yeah. from there? It was about in the middle of the EOD pipeline. You do, again, you're doing peer evals. There's a similar community. They're also getting peer evals and like doing a lot of similar things. And so in EOD, I was actually like, so this EOD was like far more suited to my strengths, I thought. It was a lot of creative problem solving, a lot of, not that there's not that the SEALs, but it's just different. And so I felt like this would be a place that I would do really well. And throughout EOD school, I was I was feeling like I was doing really well. But then peer evals came. And SEALs are huge, right? So you go through the SEAL pipeline with like, you start with like 300 people or something. My EOD school class was 15 guys. So like, and the EOD pipeline is two and a half years long. So you're with the same 15 guys for a very long time. So you guys are close. There were tons of people who I was in buds with who like, I didn't even know and who hated me, but like, didn't even really know me. And so like, they're like, it didn't feel personal when they were like, you suck. I was like, you don't even know me. Like, what do I care? But then middle of EOD school, I came bottom of peer evals and 
I was, at least in my mind, like not the bottom performer, you know, like I was not the person who was, yeah, not at all. I felt like very well attuned to this stuff. And um, that was a big waking up moment. That was a big waking because it, and it felt really personal. Um, mm -hmm. That was a big difference, right? Like it felt, these people did know me. There was no, there was no pretending like they didn't. Like they, I'd been with, at this point, you know, been with these people for like over a year. Like they really knew me and they were like, that, they put me bottom. Mm. And that really stung. That really, that really, really hurt. It felt, these were my closest friends. These were like my, to, to this day, they're still like some of the people who I feel closest with. Like there's, you know, I felt like they were my brothers and like, I really felt close with them. And, mm. and they, to, to, to get ranked last, that was like brutal. That EOD school was a big process of learning what it was I was actually looking for this whole time, which was, I wanted to feel like I belonged somewhere, right? Like it wasn't like, I thought I was trying to pursue respect, but really somewhere along the road, I had just convinced myself respect was love. Like this, these were the same things and respect, getting people's respect would mean people would accept you. And so that was the first time where I kind of was just honest with myself about what it is I even wanted. You know, like I've been pretending that I don't care what people think. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. And then that was really brutal. So there's three really two experiences I kind of sort of coined to this. That one, that was one. And then my one of my first deployments, I spent six months on an aircraft carrier, which was terrible. But I spent a lot of time just sort of alone. <laughs> and I'm a fan of meditation. So I spent a lot of time meditating and just noticing all of my actual thoughts about myself. And they were all quite terrible. And they were all like... <laughs> they were all quite, quite mean to me. <laughs> and, uh, and so those were the kind of the two big experiences that led me to just realize like the carrier was the first time that I realized I wasn't that the, this experience of like judging myself and like, and like the way, and all of these things that I was going through, that like everyone else was going through, like I wasn't different from people, but that we were all like, it felt very unifying and that felt nice. Again, it felt like belonging, you know, it felt like, uh, yeah. So between those two, those were really the big moments where it was like, you're, it's weird. Cause I, I it's when, you know, we say there's no real moment. We just start to decide to love yourself. At least in my view, it's just kind of like a yeah. process. You, like you it slowly, just happens. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you hit yeah. the bottom, you hit the bottom and then it just organically something in your system is like, yeah, that's, that's all I can take of this. And yeah. you just kind of start to pick yourself up and, and do things a little differently without even necessarily needing to make a decision. I've, I've you know, you hear the stories about people with the alcoholism and they wake up on the street, you know, with like a busted head and they're like, well, that's, that's it for that. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and it's just, sometimes you just have to go all the way to the bottom. So it sounds like for you, it was like, yeah, getting honest feedback about your lack of likability or, or yeah, yeah. being who you thought you were um, from people who you actually cared about and, and you were going to take their feedback was, was kind of the bottom. And, and then hearing all the thoughts about yourself and in, in meditation, yeah, same deal. And then, then just kind of goes from there. And, and, and so yeah. I think that that's kind of what the, our, our twenties are for almost yeah. is, is to, is to see what happens when we finally face all the stuff that we kind of haven't been facing growing up and, and, yeah. and kind of seeing that the world is not what we made it out to be. And then, eventually hopefully you know the sooner it happens honestly the better because then the sooner you can kind of get on with your life and so for so many people like covering it up with 
success and recognition and achievement just kicks the can kind of further down the road and it hurts a lot more to have to face all this in your like 40s and 50s or or even 60s because because then there's just so much that you've built up to prop yourself up um the fall the fall is even harder yeah i mean poker had a hand in this for me too because while this is all happening i'm trying to take poker seriously too Mm -hmm. so you know i was trying to be a you know a serious poker player and in eod school i i got into so i was eod schools in florida so i got into some big private games and that made me think i was like god's gift to poker i don't know, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever played in big private games but they're not hey the man i'm from I, I grew yeah. up in, i grew up in texas i'm yeah. i know i know about yeah. the i know what's going on yeah so i thought i was like god i'm incredible at this game um <laughs> i was not i was not incredible I started playing online, so poker, it sort of, I went through the same sort of pattern. It was all of these things, that's the thing, it's hard, all of these things kind of came together to really mm-hmm. make me realize like this really common thread yeah. with things where I was just, I was not meeting myself for where, yeah. where I was, you know, yeah. I was, I was really, and that was the biggest point of transition when I started excelling through, you know, the stakes at, yeah. at poker was just when I just relaxed. Mm. you know I yeah was just like yeah that's like almost everybody you know I'm, I'm not not like rec players who have never studied right but almost yeah. everybody who really wants to do well in poker or anything else you know trading business it's, it's all the same it's, it's yeah. not like you need more you need to learn more stuff it's yeah. you need to like go inside you and and face all the stuff that you've been facing and accept it and feel it and feel the pain feel the hurt and and get real with yourself then when you do it's like oh my god look at all this knowledge i have and now i'm using it perfectly all the time um and and if you don't have that you're just going to keep sabotaging yourself over and over and over as soon as you creep up to the level that that you thought would make you happy right and yeah um, you've seen it too many times to count yeah yeah you see it in eod a lot eod and poker correlate a lot in the sense Mm -hmm. that they're like there's these it's this when you're doing EOD work, it's incredibly nuanced, right? Like the particular the particularities of how to best approach the situation is very, very nuanced. And and a lot of people, because there's a lot of pressure and there's like a highly competitive environment and people want to succeed well, people are always trying to just like copy and paste mm-hmm. the way someone else does something to like a situation, right? Mm-hmm. And this is obviously clear, very clear in poker, like people mm-hmm. just trying to copy and paste answers. Yeah. And so like, yeah, you see that, you see that a lot in EOD and a lot all over the place, but poor Ben, poor Ben CB, man, Ben CB was one of my first coaches and we would talk like poker theory and he was like, oh, okay. So like you, you, you know, some stuff like you've seen well-studied and I was like, and then we start reviewing hands and I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just getting torn apart. <laughs> this poor guy just like. He he seemed a little confused. Yeah, he's like, I, he's like, I don't understand what's happening. He literally he said that like, <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. We just talked about this. <laughs> yeah, like I yeah and, yeah yeah. So that was I remember. Uh, I, I, I should go find those videos. I think I still have them. Right oh back. yeah, that'd be great content for you. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know these poor these poor technical coaches who don't know what they're getting into. Yeah. Well, I want to bring this to where you're at now because I noticed you made a big leap. You on your Twitter now it says a uh, high performance coach first. And then poker yeah. player second. So tell me what you're up to, man. And and I want to know like how all of this is shaping what you want to do for people. Cause I, I know you really want to help people kind of hopefully skip some of the mistakes that you had to make. Yeah. So 
Now I'm really passionate about using well-being as a platform for performance. I think this is, you and I align a lot on this, but this is really where my passion is now. I really want to work with people and help people achieve all the things that they want, but not as a means of being happy, but using their happiness as a means to to achieve those things. Hmm. And yeah, it's, I slowly started, I was doing technical poker coaching and uh, with a little bit of performance coaching alongside of it and started doing just more and more performance coaching with people. And so now I'm just trying to shift into doing that and have been fortunate enough to get to work with some people in different, different industries, like some people who, you know, work in business and, you know, cause I think the principles are all really the same. You see it a lot in business, you know, like how, how desperation really drives this sort of like chronic cycle of not the best decision-making. And when you can just sort of relax and do things your way, you know, like do things the way you want to do them. That's where I think that's where the magic really happens. Mm. And, yeah. um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's my passion now is it's, you know, it's, I'm really passionate for people who I think just because of myself really feel inadequate and really feel like they, they need something to be good enough. And, and I'm really passionate about how our marketing and everything online really fuels this process of just making people feel like they, they need this, they need this, they need this. Mm -hmm. And I really just want people to know that like they're, you know, they are their best teacher. They, they know what they need. They know what they want. Mm -hmm. And I just want to help people learn to, to listen to what that is from themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, when I took my first ever improv class, which it was so amazing that I ended up falling in love with improv and then teaching it myself only because of this, this one teacher I had. And I'll never forget what he said. He was like, people come into this class saying, I want to learn how to be funny, but you're, all of you are funny and mm. smart and witty and quick. You just have learned how to stop doing that through different ways that people have taught you how to be in the world. So yeah. you don't have to actually become funny. You are funny and you just have to like remember. And, and yeah. so same deal for, for your people. It's like, oh yeah, you know how to be happy and that will drive you. But if you keep doing what you're doing, the way that you do it will be how you do it when you get there, right? So if you're yeah. unhappy and driving yourself to success, guess what? You're not going to all of a sudden be happy once you have a, a million dollars or you win a yeah. World Series bracelet or, or, or whatever. You're just going to have that thing and be unhappy which in a lot of ways is worse. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, the longer you go, the more you're just conditioning the same way of being. And the longer you do that, the harder it is to undo that conditioning, if you will. And especially like, I don't know, it's, there's no, to be fair, it's, it's weird too, though, because sometimes that's exactly what you need. Like everyone has their own path, right? Like mm. I really needed to fail and to, to believe what I was going to get was going to deliver me something and then to watch it not happen over and over and over mm. until I learned that like, oh, this isn't working. Mm. My hope is that with some gentle priming to notice this, that people can make this process much shorter. Mm. And that's what, hopefully that's what I want to create my content around. And that's the kind of coaching and work that I want to do with people because suffering's a bitch, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, it's, it's good. I'm, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad I found somebody who I could bring on here and talk about who agrees with, you know, the stuff that I believe, because it's kind of rough out there, even with all the other people trying to help people perform at higher levels. I get kind of tired of being the only person out there informing everybody that everything that everybody is spouting for high performance is uh, not going to work because it, it just involves you adding the next routine or habit and not actually looking inward 
at yeah. the one common denominator that's always been there, which is which is you, right? And and everybody wants to sell accountability and turn off your phone at night and take these supplements and eat healthier and let's talk about your problems and think about where did it come from. But um, you know, it's it's not it, right? It's like nah, yeah. It's like can you conceive that you are enough as you are right now without having accomplished any of this stuff? And that's the real question. So uh, I hope that uh, maybe sometimes you won't be so gentle uh, with, with your people uh, and push and push them. Yeah, but we'll see. Everybody yeah. kind of develops yeah, we'll their own. Everybody yeah. kind of develops their own style. Yeah. Mine certainly has shifted a ton in the last few years from from yeah. where I started. Um, it's a lot more just sharp now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's. I'm curious your thoughts on on because like I really feel like you just really can't in some philosophical way like you really can't teach people things you know what I mean like and so for me it's I'm trying to find that exactly that balance you know and we'll we'll see where mm. I end up after having done yeah. this a bit more of just like of pointing people to where where things are to be learned but then for them to learn it themselves versus trying to yeah. teach them the thing you know what I mean like because like if I tell you because it's amazing like I have a friend of mine who's a who's like a relationship therapist and we kind of get into this a lot because I think a lot of psychology is sort of captured by the antithesis of what you and I sort of talk about because he put up this post that was like 80% of couples who rate themselves as like, as they relate their marriage as exceptionally well have like date nights once a week. And then he le led from this, that this is why you need to have Yeah, you need, you need a date night. Right, right. You need a date no, night. No, 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 no. They have like, the oh, date yeah, night exactly. because, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's ridiculous, yeah. right? It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. I, I love I love that we immediately, you immediately knew yeah. where I was going with this. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, that's not, you don't just, if you just throw two people who aren't seeing eye to eye on something, who like don't enjoy each other's company into a date night once a week and just like mandate that they do that, that's just more <laughs> time for them to get mad at each other, yeah. right? Like that's just, that's just yeah. more time together. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's hilarious. But um, it's why uh, I have a, you know, I have a, a client who plays high stakes he constantly points out to me he's like you're never going to run out of, run out of business because <laughs> there will always be somebody hitting the bottom of that cycle who's going to finally say oh you know what i need to mm. do it do it the other way so mm. um yeah so i think we're in a, we're in a good position in the market here <laughs> um and i do i do agree that like you can't really teach anybody anything i, I never want anybody to call me their like guru or or yeah. whatever or or even teacher right because um really like all i think the role is of, of the coach is to really listen deeply, right? Like think about mm -hmm. how many people, most people on average have that will like actually give you your full attention and listen yeah. without judgment and, and be curious about what your experience mm -hmm. is. And then just completely let it rip and, and tell you exactly what, what they are noticing and, and what, yeah. what they're thinking uh, with the only agenda being like, I want, I want for you to have what you want, and I want for you to yeah. be happy and succeed, right? So to me, that's the job, um, yeah. and and so it has nothing to do with like teaching or educating. Yeah. And then that's the gift, right? That because that's the yeah. thing that people don't have. Everybody else is teaching. Oh, I think you should do this. I think you should do that. That's yeah. not it, right? What people need is to feel like they are listened to and heard and understood. And then given just total honest feedback from from somebody who who genuinely is for them, um, and then they get to make their own decisions, and then they see the light. They see, oh, mm -hmm. this is that's where the magic happens. Yeah, yeah it's really a it's really a you're really standing in as a metaphor, I think, for how they should just treat themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Which yeah. is those two things you said, just like listen deeply to yourself, and then just be honest with yourself. Yeah. And I think once you, I, I think that's I view that's how I try to 
view my role with people is like, I just, I don't want to treat you any differently than I would want you to treat yourself and that I would like to treat myself, you know? Awesome, yeah. man. Well, I'm excited to see where your business and, and work takes off. Um, uh, we talk all the time, so I'm excited to yeah. just keep going uh, with our shared love of uh, performance and, and Harry Mack freestyle raps. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> I, I watched Harry Mack in preparation for this conversation. Nice, nice. I love it. I love it. Um, but yeah, tell um, tell the people where if they want to follow you or, or, or hear, hear more from you, where can they uh, check you out? Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm jared.alderman. And then on Twitter, I'm uh, the underscore Jalderman, J-A-L-D-E-R-M-A-N-N. And uh, I have a website coming soon, but it's it's in the process. And so I, I imagine it will be jaredaldermancoaching.com. That is my, yeah. So look cool. out for that. Awesome, man. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story. Uh, real yeah. deep stuff gave me Gave me some chills in certain moments there listening to, to the experiences. It was far deeper than than I even imagined it would be uh, yeah. from, from reading the Twitter thread. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right. Thanks again to Jared for coming on the show today, sharing and opening up and being vulnerable around what was probably one of the most harrowing and disappointing experiences of his own life. And not only taking that for himself, the lessons but also sharing them with you so that you can hopefully take your game, your performance, your own relationship with yourself to a new level to where you can be happier, more successful, and really let the skills that you have shine. So if self-love and acceptance and getting to this highest level of honesty with yourself is something that interests you, you can go find Jared over in the Twitter streets. And if that's something that you want to hear more about from me, you can certainly find it from me over in my daily email newsletter where I write about topics like this in the world of high performance, whether it's poker, business, sports, life, relationships, anything really, all I really want to do is write something each day that will help you feel more honest and connected to yourself. So if you want that, you can get it over at pokerwithpresence.com. It's free to join. We'd be happy to have you there. Otherwise, we'll see you on the next episode.